Welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, Bubba, I'm really excited uh, about uh, an opportunity to talk to an old friend today, but also meet a new friend who has uh, an incredible story. Uh, so we're going to be talking with author Don Keith, and then uh, we're also going to talk, talk to Steve Skipper. Uh, Don wrote uh, the book, Dream On, A Journey of Deliverance. It is the story of Steve Skipper. Uh, but the movie uh, in documentary form is uh, is in theaters. Uh, we'll talk about that. Colors of Character, an artist's journey to redemption. So let's start out by uh, bringing to Rick and Bubba University the podcast, Bubba, author Don Keith. Don, welcome to Rick and Bubba. Hi, fellas. Emphasis on the old, on old friend, yes. Yes. We've known Don for many, many years since we first came to town. Yeah, it's uh, Don was the first one who kind of reached out and said, I understand what you guys are trying to do. Let me help you. <laughs> <laughs> and said, good luck. Good luck to you, bro. Well, as an old radio guy first, I and then I got to tell a lot of the Rick and Bubba story in a, a book called We Be Big, which I think pretty much put the publisher out of business last I heard. <laughs> it, it did. It did. We, we did them in, Don. Th- those of you that don't know that, Don. It, it wasn't our fault. I think it was more of a, uh, a current curve in the economic system. Yeah, it, you know, it was. It was just time for books to go out well and you know there's been many people don that have taken we be big the mostly true story of of the rick and bubba show and they think it should be a textbook uh in communication schools on how to do this thing called radio and how to market yourself and and you took uh, bubba and i after interviewing us and put it all together as only you can and just want to thank you very much and i, I think the book has been used to to, to help a lot of people and, and say, you know what, if you, if you keep on churning, as we're going to hear this great story about Steve Skipper, uh, it, no matter how tough the obstacles are in front of you, this country offers you a lot of opportunity. Well, I, I think it's a lot like the Steve Skipper story. It was a story worth telling and an uplifting and inspiring story, and I'm glad I got the chance to do both of it. So Steve Skipper is joining us. I'm so thankful. Steve, I'm just a full disclosure preparing for us to do this interview today and until Don Keith uh, shared your story, uh, I was not aware of your story. Uh, it, it is a fascinating story. So, Steve Skipper, welcome to Rick and Bubba University. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here. Been a big fan for a long time. Well, Steve, that's kind of you. It, it must be surreal to be the focus of a book and now a movie. Uh, I guess you, you've seen the movie now. Was it kind of strange to see your life played out on the big screen? Uh, extremely strange. I mean, it was something that that kind of, you know, well, I can't say a past tense blew my mind because it's still doing it. And I, I really feel like I'm sleeping and I'm dreaming or something like that. And I, uh, pretty much it's a great dream. I don't want to wake up, but I, it's hard to believe it's real. Well, it's, it's, it's such a story. It features so many things. And, and that's the reason why, Don, I'm so glad this is, you know, you, you did the book, but, but now I'm glad to people who maybe haven't read the book that, that would prefer to see it in movie documentary form. Th- this story needs to be told. I mean, there's so many great stories of, of our country. Uh, there's so many stories that, uh, that are inspiring that come from, you know, the, the troubles that our country went through through the civil rights movement. And, and a lot of them are very similar. But, but I tell you, Steve, yours is, is very unique uh, because of this gift that God gave you, and you being a, a, a man of color, being a black man, uh, you, you kind of talked about dreaming to be an artist for whatever reason. was You were almost told it was forbidden. So, so tell us a little bit about the, the beginning of your story. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had a, an uncle 
they grew up in the in the, the late thirties and forties, and uh, during that time, uh, you know, he was extremely good at artwork. But uh, during that time, to to say that you wanted to be an artist during that time, I mean, you that was just like you know, no way. You, the, you had to think of something else, some kind of thing of manual, manual labor or something like that. And it kind of crushed him to tell you the truth. And uh, then my brother started drawing and stuff like that to be like my uncle and and my mom. You know, during that time, they knew that that kind of dream like that was just uh, out of the question for an African American during that time. So. When I started doing it, she started thinking about the stuff that my uncle went through. And she started to try to, you know, kind of discourage me, but I had a fourth grade teacher that noticed it and came home and told my mom that one day, you know, this young man is gonna be great at artwork. And uh, we don't have any money in the school to be allocated for uh, supplies for him. So I'm gonna be buying them myself. So you can understand, man, the the, um, salary of a teacher even now is more is, is much lower than it should be. But back in that time, you can imagine they weren't making that much money at all. But she invested everything she could in what she thought and what she saw my future would be. So tell tell us. Uh, so obviously, when looking at the story, you, you see God's hand uh, in all of this. You didn't maybe necessarily at that time see it as God's hand. You might have thought it it was fortunate uh, or, or whatever, but. When did you know that you had this gift? I mean, you talked about your your family members and you talked about your brother. Uh, is this? It appears from the story this is something that kind of came to you like a gift from God. Well, you know, I mean, you know how people talk, you know, and people say, you know, so and so has a talent to do this or that and the other, and and then it's just something you know how to do or something like that. But when I when I became a Christian. The night that I got saved, you know, I'm a, a, a bona fide crip that's sitting in the back of the church listening to a, a, a message from a preacher. And when he started ministering under the anointing, it really just subdued this demonic spirit that was in my life. And he started to direct his attention at me about the artwork that I was doing. And he had no clue that nobody, you know, could tell him what I was doing. And he started pointing straight at me and talking to me and it, as if I was the only somebody in the room. And he started talking about how, how concerned God was about uh, every aspect of my life and that using the talents and the gifts that God had given you, it actually glorified God. And in the process of him preaching, I'm falling in love with Jesus. So you mean to tell me that if I use this, this gift that I have and this gift came from God, if I use it, it actually glorifies him and make him happy? I mean, man, it's like pouring gasoline on fire at that point. So, Don, you were Drew. How did you find out about Steve's story? What, what, how did you end up writing this story? Well, I am a storyteller. That's what I do. That's how I put groceries on the table. And if you look <laughs> at me, you can tell I'm very fond of groceries. <laughs> yes. uh, but once you're a published author, you start getting almost weekly. I would hear from somebody, hey, you got to tell this story about this guy. You got to tell my dad's story in World War II. Or you got to do this or that. These are great stories. Most of the time, they're interesting, maybe, but. Uh, a mutual friend called me one day and said, I got somebody I want you to meet, Don, and you you need to tell his story. I said, okay, here we go again. But there was a free barbecue lunch involved, so I went ahead and yeah. went ahead, went through the whole process. But as soon as I heard story uh, Steve's story, I knew I had to help tell it. I When I tell stories, I want to tell of people who have uplifting experiences. The old saw in the book writing and movie businesses, you get your hero, you get your hero up a tree, you throw rocks at him, you get him out of the tree. That's how a story 
goes. And that's Steve checks all the boxes on that. You talk about uplifting, you talk about powerful, you talk about a guy who in his early teens turned to drugs. He was a crip. He was uh, not a good guy at all, but somewhere deep inside, he still had that, the possibility for redemption. And Steve can tell you about how he made the decision and why he made the decision to go to that church service that night, almost on a dare. All right, we'll do that. We'll come back. We'll continue this incredible story on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right, so tell us a little bit, uh, Don, you talked about this. So, Steve, you, you, you told us that you knew that you had a gift to be an artist. You were told as an African-American, you better find something else to do. That, 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 that is not a path available to you. Uh, you were part of the segregations of the schools uh, in the South. Um, you, you said there was a, a fourth grade teacher that said he, he, he has a gift to your mother. I want to help him with the gift. So, so how does that, that part of the first person that came into your life saying, I will help, what, what turns you toward the Crips and drugs as a teenager? How, how did you find your place there and then eventually to that church service? Well, uh, there's a tremendous amount of dysfunction that goes on in homes and pretty much Pretty much every home has its certain amount of dysfunction, but my home had a lot of it in there. And so I, as a, at a young man, um, probably nine years old, saw some dysfunction that I shouldn't have saw in my home. And it, it really made me bitter. And at that point in time, the dysfunction, uh, it sets you up as a kid. And that's why we need to be really careful about our kids. You know, any kind of this, any form of dysfunction will set you up to the point to where if the family is broken, when I was presented to the Crips, they presented themselves as family. And so at that age of 12, 13 or something like that, you don't even, you don't know that this is not what you're looking for. This is not, this is the, the ultimate in deception when it comes to the enemy. And so when I went in that gang, I went in that gang thinking that this was a, a place where I would fill the void of the family that I didn't have. Uh, in my in my real home, and so once you go into there, it's just like taking the talent that I had and the gift that I had that God had given me and bearing it under an evil situation and an evil atmosphere. Steve, I, I hear this from a lot of people uh, that as humans, we're going to find a family, we're going to find a place that we fit in, and it it can be a good place or it can be a bad place, but we're going to find somewhere to 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 put our tent down, right? Is that kind of what you were seeing? That's extremely right. But, you know, the thing about it is if you don't know, if you haven't been taught who you are in Christ, and if you don't haven't been taught the purpose that God has on your life, you will try to fit into a place when God has really set you apart and called you out. And so uh, later I found that out. But at the same time, I'm thinking that this is family and I'm talking about I'm going, going headlong into this thing because the anger and stuff that I had on the inside of me from the dysfunction that was in my home, it set me up and qualified me for the Crips because the night that I was jumped into the Crips, I had to fight 10 guys to get in. And uh, this was a vicious situation and I won. All 10 guys were on the ground and I looked at the leader and I asked him, was he next? Mm. And so... Uh, this situation is not, you know, we want to make this clear too. This is not a, a few guys hanging on the corner trying to be tough. You know, this is a very, very organized, very, very uh, demonic situation that's done in the dark. That's why you don't hear it. You know, Jesus said, 
men love darkness rather than light because darkness covers their evil deeds. Mm. Well, see, you don't hear a lot. The ordinary person, you mm -hmm. don't hear anything about crypts and bloods and devil's disciples. I mean, this is way deeper than somebody walking around with their pants down low. I mean, that's, that's, that's a joke. But this right here was extremely organized, demonic organization. So on that note, I, I'm assuming, of course, if after you beat up 10 of them, maybe it was okay, but I'm I'm assuming did did your did your gift of being an artist was was that embraced or talked about uh, as a crip? Not at all. I mean that right there had nothing to do with anything. It's just like the 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 devil places you in a situation where you actually bury what what God is giving. I see. You. I mean you bury it, and it's not just you know even in, even in society right now, there's a lot of ways that that are not evil that people take what God has given them, what God has purposed them and what they were born to do, they'll bury it under a career. Yeah. And, you know, they, and they don't I'm actually, do I'm actually doing something. I'm an employee of the month somewhere doing something mm -hmm. that God really didn't purpose me to do. And so during that time, it was buried under a whole lot of evil activity. So you were going all in as, as, as somebody and, and you were obviously moving and accepting uh, what the Crips and they were accepting you. And you kind of said, you know, uh, Steve, the artist is over. It's now Steve, the crip. Yes, because I thought this was family and I thought I was so good at it. that It had to be okay. You yeah, know, yeah. because, you know, you come in there at 13, but at the same time, by the time you're 15 years old, I'm collecting money for the drug dealers. I'm actually going to people that owe the drug dealers money and if they don't have it. And if they tell me no or something like that, they find out that I've been trained to fight like an animal and you're going to give up that money. So, so um, that's at 15 years old. Here I sit at 61. I'm looking back, you know, with the wisdom that I have right now. And I'm, it's it's unbelievable to me that God allowed me to do something like that. No, I understood. So, so tell us how you, as a crip, end up at this church service where God drew you into His presence and had a pastor not just speak to you about Jesus, but about the sin that you were committing of not using your gift for Him. Good question, brother. I mean, I love this question right here because this is this is where the rubber meets the road. We're, 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 at this point in time, I'm, I'm not just a member, but I'm leading the right. part that I'm doing right now. And so we we just get gotten got finished with robbing somebody one Friday night, and we, we it was a big haul. I mean, we we, we robbed a, a huge house of everything that they had, and so we're in the park on the Saturday morning celebrating. And we're taking some drugs down on the, on the, uh, this park bench and everybody's packing uh, armed. And so there's a swimming pool down there in the park. And there's a lifeguard that used to work there by the name of Mike Mitchell. We used to call him Big Mike. And he looks down there where we are. And it's, it's 13 of us down there. And he yells down there, Steve Skipper, you need to give up that stuff and stop doing that stuff and give your life to Jesus. And everybody starts looking around like, you know. <laughs> Big Mike. It, it, has he lost his mind because you don't approach us like that. Right. And so uh, after that, I tell him, just leave me alone. But on the inside of me, man, I mean, I'm, I'm getting tired of what I'm doing. Mm. And, you know, Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest for your soul. Mm -hmm. Not your body, but your soul. So long before somebody that's doing an evil thing and stuff like that, long before they quit, they're tired on the inside. But I couldn't show it to the people that I was around. That's right. And so I told him, just leave him alone. 
And so the next thing you know, he boldly comes out from among from, from around that fence where the swimming pool was, and he comes down there where we are. Now, this is absolutely terrible. So the guys actually go for their weapons, and I tell them to leave them alone. You got to understand, so I'm sitting there with a 45 in my waist. So he walks up, and I walk away from them and walk towards him, and he starts talking to me about Christ. I've never heard anybody talk about Jesus like this, and the anointing of God is all over him. And when the anointing comes on somebody's life and it comes in a, in a place where somebody's demonically possessed, the demons have no power over the anointing. So I'm sitting here like helpless in front of this guy. And so he starts to talk, talk to me about Jesus. And at the same time, I'm sitting there with a 45 in my waist. You got to understand this guy, is six, he's 17, I'm 16. And he's talking like with a boldness that I've never seen before on my side of the fence. And so I, I tell him, I said, let's make a deal. I said, I'll go to church with you one night if you'll stop talking to me about Jesus. Mm. And he said, deal. He said it too quick. I thought he was going to negotiate or something. But he <laughs> said real quick because God knew that if I got myself into the presence of God, it was all over for me. Mm -hmm. And so he said, deal. He said, I tell you what. He said, I got a friend of mine that's an evangelist. Well, I heard about pastors, but I didn't know God had an evangelist. <laughs> evangelists are people that will come where you are. And so he said, this guy will come where we are, and he'll have a meeting just for you. And I said, cool. So I knew I'd been to church before, man. I knew, you know, I knew the kind of the way church went. And so I know the yeah. first 15 minutes, they start singing songs and stuff like that, and they get excited and all that kind of stuff. So, man, I'm going to go in there. And for the first 15 minutes at church, it starts at 7 o'clock, 7.15, I'm going to sneak out of the back of the church while they're so excited and praising God or whatever they're going to do. And I'm going to meet a guy outside the church, and I'm going to start taking speed at 7.15. I tell the guy, the guy says, okay. I go in there, my plan is to go in 15 minutes and come out, right? Yep. I go in there, and instead of 15 minutes, I stay 46 years. <laughs> and, uh, all right, so we'll come back. We'll continue our conversation. Uh, if you want to know what the book is called, if you've never read it, it's called Dream On, A Journey of Deliverance, and also now the documentary, the movie. And we'll talk about uh, the theaters that, that have that available for you, Colors of Character, An Artist's Journey to Redemption, when we continue with Don Keith and Steve Skipper on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, simply safe, uh, you know, talking about the Crips. Uh, they're still, even though even though Steve's not with them, uh, still uh, we're living in a time where if you don't have your place secure, uh, it could be problematic. But the industry got a little outdated and antiquated, and you know we got we got all these false alarms, and you had to wait on somebody to come install it, and then they're miles of wire, uh, and then they're expensive, and and then you know you get knocked into a contract. Where did this the, this fee come from? Well, Simply Safe uh, Home Security delivers award-winning 24-hour protection. With Simply Safe, you don't get an arsenal of cameras and sensors. You get the best professional monitors in the business. So it's not just all these sensors. It's not just the cameras. They're great, but the monitoring is fantastic as well. They got you back day and night, ready to send police, fire, EMTs when you need them the most straight to your door. And remember, here's what we love about Simply Safe: the video verification. What, what, what does law enforcement hate? False alarms. So a lot of times what you're going to do now, and this is what we love about it with the Simply Safe, I've got video verification. I can show police, hey, there really is a break-in, so they get there quicker than they would have before because usually they try to iron out whether it's a false yeah. alarm or not. You can set it up yourself in about 30 minutes, very easy. 
and then the professionals take over and they monitor your home 24-7, ready to send help in a moment's notice when there is a, an alarm, and there's no long-term contract, there's no hidden fees or any installation cost. Why don't you get a free home security camera if you do this? We're gonna, if you go to our URL, that's simplysafe.com slash Bubba, simplysafe.com slash Bubba, we'll give you a free home security camera with whatever you pick out. You also get a 60-day risk-free trial, so there's nothing to lose. Visit simplysafe.com slash Bubba for your free security camera today, simplysafe.com slash Bubba. Bubba, it's Rick and Bubba University, and we are talking with Steve Skipper and Don Keith, and we're talking about the, the story uh, of Steve Skipper. When we left, Steve, you uh, were tricked, not tricked, but the Holy Spirit drew you in uh, through Big Mike to go to church. You thought you were going to stay 15 minutes. You're still there 46 years later. As a follower of Jesus, you were redeemed, and the message told you that this gift of being an artist uh, was given to you by God. And, and so at, at that point, did you start thinking to yourself, what is this new life? And I have to ask the obvious question, what about the Crips? Yeah, and Steve, what what exactly did the minister say? Yeah, kind of walk through that yeah. again. What uh, you, you told us in general, but was there more at a point where you realized, hey, I, I've got to I've got to hear more of this? Yeah. Well, I think in the life of everybody, there is something, some void that's on the inside of you that can only be filled by God. And then there's something that a minister that's led by the Holy Spirit, there's something that he can say that'll reach you. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're doing. There's something. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you are hearing exactly what that man of God is saying under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, he's going to speak to something on the inside of your heart. And when he said that God was concerned about every aspect of my life, the enemy had tricked me, as he does a lot of people. He had tricked me into thinking that nobody cared. And when you start thinking that nobody cares, it, it fills you with a tremendous amount of anger where, you you know, it's you against the world, where you're fighting, you know, fighting for uh, respect and fighting for to be noticed or fighting, you know, for somebody to, to, to see me, on a, to care about me. And so once he said that God cared about every every aspect of my life, that just subdued me, man. I mean, I, I just, you know, it, it just made me drop every weapon on the inside of myself and all my defenses came down. And so when he started saying that, and he started talking to me about, you know, God had given you, uh, given you special gifts and stuff like that. And, and, and it's, it's up to us to use those gifts to honor God and stuff like that, man, he's talking to me on a level that was so personal. And that's the thing about it. We have to, re, re, you know, when we're witnessing to somebody, we're ministering to somebody, you have to remove religion and bring in relationship. Amen. And that's where you're going to reach people, man. You got to, people have to know that you, that God really cares. He really exists and he has a plan for your life and he wants you to exercise that plan and he's going to do everything he can to help you to get it done. So Steve, during that time, that service, did you ask Jesus into your heart at that point or how, how did your, your actual conversion come about? Oh, brother, I'm sitting on the back queue because you got to remember now, my plan is to ease out of the back of this church, and I don't want to make any, you know, any noise about doing it. I'm sitting on the back clue. My colors are tied to my wrist, you know, my gang colors and everything. And as he's ministering under the power of the Holy Ghost, man, it gets to the point to where I'm actually at absolute surrender mode. And I take these colors off and I drop them on the floor. 
You don't do that. You mm. never take the colors off. I drop them on the floor of the church and I get up and I walk to the front of the church and I fall on my knees before God. Mm. You never get on your knees as a crip to nobody. I fell down on my knees and accepted Christ as my personal savior and it changed my life just like that. December 26th, December 23rd, 1976, 9.46 p.m. Never forget. So I have to ask the question from my... Yeah, how does it go yeah, after that? My knowledge <laughs> of the Crips is they don't normally just let you go. So, oh, bro, you're right. So, you're right now. now you're so, right. So, I get about five minutes to rejoice and be saved because <laughs> I got about, I got two things I got to deal with. And and one of the things, I, I, the drugs and stuff that I was selling, I had started taking. And so I'm actually addicted to one of the drugs. And I go home. I got I to gotta go home. And I think that I'm going to have to deal with uh, uh, withdrawal yep. from this drug. And the, the second thing I got to deal with, I got to face them tomorrow. Mm. And I know exactly how this stuff works because I've been in it. Right. You know, I've seen people that talked about, oh, I'm going to quit. And I'm going to get out and stuff like that. Oh, OK, OK. And I saw how that ended and it ended terribly. And so I go home and I'm waiting on withdrawal. I'm sitting up in the bed waiting on it. And 46 years, I'm still waiting on it. Mm. Never happened. How about that? Wow. So I get up the next day and I go over there and I tell them, that I'm getting out of this thing. And you got to remember something about the experience I had with Big Mike. The anointing of, of Jesus Christ that was on Mike's life is on my life now. Come on. And so when I walk in here and all these guys are demon possessed and I walk in here with the anointing, every demonic spirit stands at attention. Mm. Because you got to understand something, man. This thing, this relationship that we have with Christ, it's real. Amen. It's really real. It's not a, to be a member of a church or something like that, man. It's actually be a disciple. When I walked in there and they saw the radical change that God had made in my life, it actually shook them. And at the same time, I'm realizing I'm not thinking I'm fixing to walk out of here. I just got through falling in love with Jesus. And I'm to the point right now, I know that heaven is real. And I know if I die, I'm going to heaven. Right. I know that when I turn around and start walking out of here, Somebody's going to shoot me in my back. I know this. So when I turn around and I start walking, I take one step, two steps, waiting on the shot. Right. Three steps. Next thing you know, it's three million and six million steps, and nobody never said anything and never did anything. So wow. this was all supernatural uh, from uh, completely. And, and, and it's interesting because I think about you know Luke 9.23 – when Jesus said, "If you're going to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself. You got to pick yes. up your pick up your cross, meaning you got to be willing to die, you know, yes. uh, and and go with me." And you you yes. you got all that in an instant. It wasn't that you didn't think you were going to die; you were just ready to die. Super ready. I mean, man, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with Christ in a few minutes. I mean, they're doing me a favor. Yeah, <laughs> right. You and, know what I'm saying? Yeah. And at the same time, I'm going to be out of this stuff completely i don't have anything to worry about and 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 i know i know he's with me because i can feel it i mean i really really got saved i didn't join the church i didn't become a member i became a disciple amen and it was real and when i turned around and i started walking i knew god was walking with me and so but at the same time i was expecting the shot i actually was because i know how this works but and and at the same time by the time I got to the 10th or the 15th step, I was kind of shocked. And I looked back, and they were just staring at me like, what is this? Mm. Wow. <laughs> and you've never had any issue with them at all? Never had a word. Not one word. 
you might have noticed. I, I, I do remember now one of the drug dealers that I used to collect money for. He got saved. Amen. And became a preacher. <laughs> so, Don, what were you going to add there? Yeah, uh, you, you heard Steve mention that uh, he was going to leave after 15 minutes, and he was going to meet one of the Crips that had some super drugs that they were going to start selling, and they were all going to take a, a a taste and see what it was all about. What happened then, Steve? Well, the drugs that they had for me, that I had made plans to get, I found that they, they wouldn't cut right. So if I'd have took those drugs, I'd have died that night. So God saved my life and my soul the same night. Wow. Wow. We'll continue uh, more discussion, and we'll talk about what happens now as, as, as Steve's life. Uh, you see the, the spiritual change, and now what does he do with his life, the next step he takes as far as the gifts he's been given when we continue on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Now, Bubba, you know that uh, when when you're out on social media and you're trying to you know go use your computer, use your phone, use your tablet, we do know that uh, people monitor uh, your activity, and you're thinking, I really would like to hide uh, my IP address because I don't want them tracking me. Yeah, it's maybe you're not doing anything illegal or something you shouldn't be doing, but you don't want people that are going to be prying and taking advantage and spying on you. Yeah, you know, you can control their access to your data, and, and the best the best we've seen is ExpressVPN. Uh, the problem, the big tech companies, uh, they, they, they're, not a, they're not just, you know, we've been talking about this in the headlines this week, Bubba. They don't just censor what you read. They track what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Uh, they track what you're searching for, the videos you watch, everything you Then click. they tell you the things you want to hear. That's right. And we all saw the movie Social Dilemma. Yep. Uh, and that's why you want to use ExpressVPN. The tech, co- t- uh, tech companies cannot see your IP address when you use ExpressVPN. Your identity is masked. Uh, you're, you're anonymous. Uh, and you have a secure VPN server. Uh, and ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and some of the bad guys that are out there on the Internet. Now, it only takes uh, a minute. I know the first time I heard this, I'm like, yeah, that sounds complicated. It's not complicated. (laughs) If I tell you that, you know it's not. Uh, So uh, this is why these tech companies, they think they have a free license to know everything about you, then turn around and sell off your information to people who want to sell you things. So get your privacy back with expressvpn.com slash rickbubba. By visiting this special link, we're going to get you an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. And who doesn't like saving money? Not just Speedy, us too. Uh, that's <laughs> EXPRESSVPN.com slash Rick Bubba, ExpressVPN.com slash Rick Bubba, and protect the data uh, right now. So we're talking here on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, with Steve Skipper. Bubba, what a story. Oh, I know. Uh, yeah. So Steve Skipper has been gifted by God to be an artist. Uh, as as a child, he was told, pick something else. You're an African-American man. You're not going to be allowed to be an artist. That's not for you. Uh, he ends up uh, you know, with the Crips. Uh, he's confronted with a, a disciple of Christ who he agrees to go to church just to get the guy off of him. It's already a supernatural miracle that, that Steve and his fellow gang members didn't just kill Big Mike. Uh, and so and I know his name's Big Mike, but I'm sure there were more of you and more firepower than Mike could have handled if you had decided to do what you normally would have done. Uh, And he goes to church. He has an encounter with Christ. Uh, He submits to the authority of Christ. He repents of his sins. He becomes a disciple of Jesus. He has a supernatural protection from the gang that normally would have killed uh, Steve for trying to leave the gang. He walks away, now redeemed by Jesus. And, And what happens next, Steve? 
Well, we started going to church, started really, really hearing the word of God preached on a regular basis and started uh, really getting into my artwork. This is where you know, take the spiritual shovel and dig up my artwork. And I started doing it because I know it glorifies God. It's not, not getting paid or anything like that, but just doing it because it glorifies and it honors God. And, and um, I mean, I'm still in, in high school, Homewood High School. And I'm a junior in Homewood High School. And Homewood has some of the greatest counselors that, you know, you, you can ever find, you know, anywhere. And uh, um, one, of the, one day the counselor calls me in and tells me, you know, I'm playing football at the same time. And the counselor comes in and says, I've got some good news for you. I said, what's that? And she said, um, I've got uh, some scholarship offers for you. And there's two football scholarships, but there's one fine art scholarship to Florida State University. And I take about five seconds and I'm happy because the thing about it is I'll be the first one in my family going to college. Mm -hmm. And so in about second number six, God speaks to me and says, you, you don't have any need to take these, any of these scholarships. I'm going to teach you everything you need to know about art. Really? And so I hear him just like I hear you. And then I turn around and tell my counselor, I'm not going to take the scholarships. God's going to teach me everything I need to know about art. And she looks at me like, you know, like I've lost my mind. And then she knows my mom. And so she knows that this story is not going to go well at, at, at uh, 2609 Love the Street in Homewood. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, she says, are you sure about this? And I say, yeah, I'm real sure. And so uh, I go home and my mom actually thinks I lost my mind. My dad thinks I lost my mind. And I remember, you know, years after that, you know, my mom used to tell me, I, I go through the, the phase of the starving artist phase where I have mm -hmm. to come home borrowing money all the time. And so my mom used to always tell me, get a real job, right. get a real job. Yeah. And I remember uh, God blessed me to, to, to uh, Ray Perkins gave me an opportunity at the University of Alabama and I remember Derek Thomas buying a painting for me uh, for $10,000. And I took that $10,000 check to my mom and she looked at it and said, you got a real job. That's right. <laughs> so what, what was the painting that Derek Thomas bought for me? What, what did you paint? Well, uh, Derek was Derek was an extremely great guy. And as you know, he's one of the top linebackers oh, yeah. at the University of Alabama. And his dad was a Vietnam veteran who flew uh, planes in Vietnam. And uh, the last mission that his dad flew on, it was called Linebacker 2. And so Derek wanted a, a painting of him with his father's plane in the background. And so we did that painting. And then, you know, Derek had the great game against Penn State where he had all the sacks in one game at, at Legion Field. And then he wanted that one also. So he was one of the most down-to-earth people I've ever known, uh, very, very close friend. And... When he bought his painting, he started to talk to Bobby Humphrey and Cornelius Bennett. And next thing you know, they started talking to other guys and stuff like that. And it's like snowball going downhill after that. So your first step into it, your your subjects were mainly sports. Definitely. I mean, but before uh, the University of Alabama, one of the guys that I owe big time, and I need to say this uh, a whole lot more, is Sammy Dunn. That used to be at Best Avenue. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Baseball coach. Uh, Sammy Dunn was the one that gave me my first shot. He wanted me to do individual portraits of his baseball team. You know, you know, Sammy was like uh, the Joe DiMaggio of Bestavia. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he uh, as far as a coach, I don't I don't think anybody could touch him. But at the same time, as far as a person, 
he was one of the best people I ever knew. But so between him and Coach Anderson, that's where I really got my first start. I had no, I had no idea. Mm-mm. Yeah, I, I didn't know that it came right out of those of you that may be watching this in other parts of the country. That's all out of Birmingham, Alabama, which is where it started. And and then when did it? When did this this start? Where you started doing these historic moments of the civil rights movement? When when? How did that take place in your life? That's an awesome question. I'm sitting in my studio one night. Alabama just wins the national championship. My phone is going crazy. Everybody's calling me, asking me, am I going to do a painting in a limited edition? And man, I'm sitting there just as happy as I don't know what, you know, calls are coming in. Everybody wants prints of my paintings and stuff like that. And all of a sudden here comes God again. And he says, we're not going to go that way. We're going this way. And when he pointed and said this way, he was talking about the civil rights movement, which was the most terrible market for artwork there ever was. And he said, we're going this way. I said, God, you can't be telling me this. And I'm sitting there trying to tell an omniscient God who knows everything that this is not going to work. <laughs> so uh, all of a sudden I, I bow my head and I say yes to him and we go that way. And the next thing you know, man, I'm doing artwork where I'm in the presence of Ambassador Andrew Young, Congressman John Lewis, C.T. Vivian, Joseph Lowry, and all these guys. And I'm being uh, one of my best friends is Bob Baumhauer. And, and he tells me about, he sees the civil rights movement artwork that I'm doing. And he asked me a question. He said, do you know that Dr. King went to the Bahamas to write his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech? I said, no. And I had done all kind of research. Yeah. And so then I found out that Dr. King went to the Bahamas because there's so many death threats at the time, at that time in his life in 1964. And he had found out at age 25 that he had just won the Nobel Peace Prize speech. Well, uh, J. Edgar Hoover was irate over this because he wanted the Nobel Peace Prize speech. Nobel's Peace Prize for himself. So Dr. King went to the Bahamas. They didn't tell anybody they were going except their wives. And then at the same time, uh, uh, they get over there and there are FBI agents everywhere. So he goes over there to stay with Adam Clayton Powell, who's staying next door to Ernie Hemingway. Mm. And so they see that the uh, uh, FBI people are there. So they got to get Dr. King to somewhere safe. So they decide to take him into the mangroves of Bimini in, in the Bahamas. And so they have to have a guide to take him in. You have to have a guide to come out of there because this thing mazes to the point of where you, you know, you have to have somebody that really knows what they're talking about. So short, long story short, Dr. King went into these mangroves and wrote his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech on the inside of there. And Bob knew about that. And he asked me, he said, would you like to go over there and see the place where Dr. King was? He said, I've been there and it's absolutely beautiful. And I said, yeah, this would be, you know, this would be awesome. You got to understand, you're talking to, uh, somebody that never went out of the country. I'm absolutely glad that God would allow me to go to Atlanta at this point. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about uh, going to another country where I've got to get a passport and everything. And Bob pulls out his telephone. He starts talking to somebody. And uh, then all of a sudden he gives me the phone. I said, who is this? He said, this is the governmental officials of, of the Bahamas. They want to invite you to come over to go to the place where Dr. King was. Wow. And I dropped the phone on the floor and I picked <laughs> it up and we're talking to these people and they're actually telling me the guy that took Dr. King into the mangrove is still alive and he wants to meet you. Wow. And so we go over there and we do the painting of the scene where Dr. King was. We, we show it to Ambassador Andrew Young. He wants to go back over there with us to unveil it. And the next thing you know, man, this thing starts going crazy. And we find out that the people in the Bahamas were once slaves uh, under Great Britain. Yeah. 
And there's a friend of Ambassador Young's who owns a museum here in Atlanta. And um, he's very, he's great. He's, he's best friends with Prince Charles. He runs Prince Charles's businesses in, in America. And he finds out about what we're doing. And so he goes back and he tells Prince Charles about it. And Prince Charles is extremely interested in it. So he requests one of the prints of the painting that we did of Dr. King in the Bahamas. And so when the COVID lifts, we're supposed to go over there and present one of the prints to Prince Charles. Long story short, I'm saying, if I never would have listened to God in the studio that night, yeah. of taking this turn and trying my best to convince God that he didn't know what he was talking about, if I never would have went ahead and did what he told me to do, we never would have got where we are right now with the civil rights art world. Well, it's an incredible journey uh, of deliverance. Uh, cool. uh, it is, it's named perfectly. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, Don, tell us about the documentary and where it could be seen. If I'm watching this and listening to this, and I want to see this great documentary that, that goes in great detail of the story we've just skimmed the surface of, Obviously, you can read the book, but also Colors of Character uh, is going to be a, a very entertaining and informative documentary. What's the state of it right now? Well, as you can tell, Steve's story is not very uplifting or compelling at all, <laughs> but I decided to go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah. And we, we first did it in book form. It's called Dream On, yeah. and that book is available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. They can get it for you. And if you just look, just look for Steve Skipper, you'll find the book Dream On. But Nowadays, so many people don't read. I know both you guys are vigorous readers and Absolutely. read all the time. Yes, only Don Keith books, though. Exactly. Well, I've got 37 of those you can read if you'd like. Uh, but uh, to tell a story, you've got to tell it in various means through various media. And I, we had started a film company here locally, and we were looking for our first project. And I said, we got to do Steve Skipper's story as our first one. Our Fig Tree Media Group uh, talked to Steve about it. Steve was enthusiastic as he always is. And Chris Danielson, our director, Warren Calloway, the uh, uh, editor, were partners in the company. And then Ian Bobanak, a brilliant editor, and John Nelson. If you saw the movie Woodlawn, oh, yeah. where they're playing football in the rain, oh, and yes. they had about 100 extras out there for that shoot. I was there because uh, my son was in that scene. And yes, I, I got to go <laughs> watch that. That was incredible. Well, John Nelson put in uh, the other 40,000 people that were there <laughs> digitally in wow. the movie. Well, John did the special effects on the film. But anyway, Colors of Character, we're working with a couple of distributors, and a special theater event is going on through the uh, the 15th. And all you got to do is go to colorsofcharactermovie.com. It's colorsofcharactermovie.com, and you can find the theater near you. And uh, if you want to be uplifted, if you want a, an inspiring story, if you want to see a hero get up in a tree and throw rocks at him and get him back out of that tree, this is the one to, to see. <laughs> well, and also what's cool about the book, and you were you were holding it up, you know, and, and I guess we'll see a lot of it in the documentary, you actually get to see some of Steve's artwork. Yes, and that that's the key part. That's why I love the book part of it, because Steve has a unique style. Uh, all the art critics. And by the way, Steve has paintings hanging in the NCA headquarters. He has paintings at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He has had a painting exhibited in the U.S. Capitol Rotunda, uh, in museums, and in homes of collectors everywhere. He is one of the most highly honored artists in the country. He modestly will not talk a lot about that, but he is highly honored and obviously very talented. And you can see some of those in the book and a lot of them in the movie too. Well, and also he told us straight up, if you ask where he got his training, that'd be from God. Uh, so, uh, you know, anytime God teaches somebody how to do something, it ought to be pretty good. Right, Steve? 
Nobody knows creativity like the creator. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, and uh, for you, it, it's clearly a gift. And, and Don, thank you for taking that story and being sure so many people uh, can now read about it. And then with this documentary, they can actually watch it. And, Steve, thank you for taking time. Fascinating yeah, story. Thank you for sharing that, thank Steve. I, I hope it, it, that people will be encouraged by your story. I don't see how they couldn't be if they hear it or see it, but it, it's an amazing story, and, and I think a story a lot of people need to hear today. Yep, no doubt. And uh, they're going to hear your encounter with God, and I promise you there'll be fruit from that. People saying, you know, I don't know if that's ever taken place in my life. And, and uh, I remember that's what changed my life when I used to claim uh, as a cultural Christian. And one day a pastor said, I really don't think that you are redeemed. And I said, why? He said, because you haven't been changed. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not saying much about Jesus. If he hadn't changed you, he must not have any power. And now your, no. sto- your, your story shows that. And I knew that that man was right. And when I finally submitted to the, the authority of Christ and became, in, became in Christ, guess what? He's continuing to change me radically. Amen. Amen. So thanks. Yes. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Steve. We appreciate you very much. And Don, thank you for being with us uh, on, on this edition. And we look forward to spending some more time together. Hopefully, on a future date. And thanks to all of you uh, for for watching and are listening uh, to this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.